few months, we set out some time ago to look at the authority of Christ. We saw that he has all authority, and we saw that he placed all, he vested all authority in his word that's going to judge us. And then we saw that he gave that word to 12 chosen men. He inspired 12 chosen men, not everybody, only 12. John 15, verse 16, he told those men, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And then in verse 27, he told them what he chose them for, to make known the wisdom of God and salvation, to make known that law. And so Christ has all authority, he vested all authority in his word, and he gave that authoritative word to the apostles, to 12 men. And we know of that authoritative word because of 12 men who preached it in the commission. <coughs> and we saw that that word is sufficient for all of our needs. God didn't leave us ill-equipped. He didn't leave us uninformed. We have everything we need. For life and the godliness, that was Peter's message in Second Peter three, or Second Peter one verse three. And then we saw in that study of that sequence of studies, the fact that God demands respect for His word. You don't take God's word lightly. You're going to be judged by it. Your life depends upon it. We saw that all the way through. The evidence is presented to us in the Bible of God demanding respect. Man does not have the authority to add to his word or take away from it in any respect. fill this up or put some water in this. I'm not going to make it this morning unless I've got something to clear my throat. <clears throat> Alright, so we saw the authority of Christ and the nature of it. And then <clears throat> a couple weeks ago we went into the law of Christ. Alright, so he has authority. And his authority God demands respect for it. And it's been revealed to us, and it's sufficient for all of our needs. What is that law of Christ? And so that began another study, and we've already went through these first two. Uh, <clears throat> this morning, we're going to look at the examples of conversion to that law immediately after his authoring it. Thank you, son. <clears throat> so... We started out in our quest of looking at the law of Christ. We saw that immediately after his death, Christ's law went into effect. What law? The law of salvation. The law that's for everyone. A law that cannot be added to nor taken away from. Okay, so that became effective when? after Christ died. That's why Hebrews 5, 8, and 9 says he's the author of eternal salvation because of the things that he suffered. 
That's why Hebrews 9, verse 15 to 17 declared uh, that he is the willer. He's the testifier. He's the one who made the testament. And he makes the point in his argument that a testament, a will, is not enforced until after men are dead. And so his point is that when Christ died, his law became effective immediately. But it had to be preached. Well, we're going to see in our examples of conversion to that law, immediately after his authoring it, that in Acts 2, Jesus prepared for that day of announcement on a day when all of the Jews from every nation under heaven would be gathered at Jerusalem for the Passover. And that's the day God chose to pour out, begin to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. <coughs> and in that message to pour out his spirit is the message of the law of Christ. And it, it is based upon Faith, repentance, and baptism. Because you remember after we saw that his law went into effect at the cross. It had to be preached. There's where it was established by the will and by the plan and the determination of God. That's where it was established. There was blood shed at that cross that we read about that cleansed the sin. Revelation 1, verse 5. He washed us from our sins in his own blood. <clears throat> okay, so that was the moment in time when his law went into effect at his death. And then we saw the giving of that law immediately after his death. Matthew 28, 18-20. He said, All authority has now been given unto me in heaven and earth. And in view of that, you go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Does it sound like salvation is just whatever you want it to be? Or does it sound like that this gospel is supposed to be preached? It's preached to every creature. Every creature is subject to the gospel. So it's imperative we know what the gospel is. Well, we ran through a look at that, a, qu a quick look. In Romans 1.16, what did Paul say the gospel was? He declared it to be the power of God and the salvation to all them that believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So it's God's power to save, isn't it? So I want to I know exactly what the gospel is. Paul said the gospel is God's power to save. What is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And he said, when I was with you, I preached unto you the thing of most importance, how that Christ died for our sins according to the uh, Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. He preached the gospel to them in teaching, in preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so... I've got to obey the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Well, what is that death, burial, and resurrection? Well, so you see, to be a son of God like he was, I also have to die, be buried, and raised. And that's what Romans 6, verse 3 through 6, declares to us. 
Paul wrote to the Romans. There was Christians over there that received this letter on the main. And he said, Know ye not that so many of us that were baptized into Christ were baptized into what? His death. And therefore we're buried with Christ. There's the burial. And like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also are raised from the death and the burial in the baptistry, like unto Christ was died and buried and rose. We also are raised to walk in newness of life. And then Paul says, here's what you need to know. Knowing this, I think verse 7. Knowing this, that the old man died in the baptistry in the eyes of God. God saw us before the baptist baptism labeled damned and doomed across here. He saw us doomed and damned until we were baptized for the remission of sins. And that's basically what we're going to see. And so we obey the law of Christ, which is the gospel of death, burial, and resurrection in Christ by baptism. And the world counts it as nothing. It's strange that the world has gone after uh, God, but not, uh, not they don't accept all of his word. You know, the devil, he loves scripture. He loves the truth. He just don't love all of it. That's the problem. He wants men to think that they're okay with God, that they've been obedient to God, that they're bound for heaven. Most of them don't even believe in baptism and have never been baptized for their mission of sins. They're not God's family. They have no hope. They're without God. That's the sad thing about it. Is people does not understand the law of Christ. And so the devil, he's convince most of the world that they don't need to be baptized. That that's a Church of Christ doctrine. It's not a Church of Christ doctrine. And so we're going to look this morning at examples of conversion to that law immediately after he authored it. Uh, but we saw last week also the giving of that law immediately after his death. Uh, Jesus made it clear in Mark 16, 15 and 16, he said, He that believeth and is baptized should be saved. He that believeth not should be damned. Does it sound like baptism is important? Are you beginning to get the concept that maybe, just maybe, baptism is part of the law of God? It's the law of entrance into his kingdom. It's the law of being born into his family. It's the law of salvation. Romans 1.16 and so, in our study of these few passages last week, we saw three basic things. Salvation is a result of faith in God. We saw that this morning in our study of the 11th chapter of Hebrews. God has always saved men by faith, no other manner. And somebody said, well, what about the law? law never saved anyone. Read Romans the third chapter, and Paul will conclude, 
that there's never been a man saved by law. Not one. What about the Jews? They were under the law. Yeah. Why did God send the law? To condemn the whole world. Romans 3, verse 19 and 20 will tell you all about it. That God sent the law that every mouth may be stopped. No more debating on what's right and wrong morally. And secondly, he sent the law that all flesh should be condemned. And thirdly, he says in verse 20, he says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, by doing the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Why? For by the law is merely the knowledge of sin. So there's no one saved by law. They've always been saved by faith, and that's what the Old Testament spoke of in Habakkuk 2, verse 4. The just shall live by faith. If Adam was saved, he was saved by faith, not by law. If Moses was saved, he's saved by faith, not by the law that he administered from Mount Sinai. They lived under that physical law because there was a physical covenant with a physical blessing of Canaan's land. But they also stood before God by faith. Habakkuk 2, 4, the just shall live by faith. God's always saved men by faith. And so we saw that in our study last week. The fact, as we added it together from these scriptures, faith, repentance, that means a change in one's life, a determination to walk with God and no longer with the world. Faith, repentance, and baptism. That's what equals discipleship. Acts 11, verse 26. Being a disciple of the Lord, a follower of the Lord, in the family of God. And that also uh, equals remission of sins, a remitting of sins. Now, having said that as a backdrop, Let's merely look at nine acts of conversion in the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts is not a book talking about an axe that you wield against a tree to bring it down. It's a record of the acts of the apostles. Why is it a record of the acts of the apostles? Because of the importance of who those men were. They were chosen by the Lord. They were dispatched by the Lord. They were commissioned in Acts 1 by the Lord to remain at Jerusalem because that was the day that God planned to announce to the world and begin to announce His Spirit upon all flesh. And so the first gospel sermon was preached in Acts 1, or Acts 2, excuse me. You remember in Acts 1, Jesus had risen from the dead, and Luke says that he was with the apostles for 40 days and nights, speaking to them pertaining to the kingdom of heaven. And in that message, he charged them that they remain at Jerusalem until they be endued with power from on high. In other words, from, uh, they remained there till Acts 2, and you see the Spirit coming as 
descending upon them as cloven tongues of fire, a sign that God was endorsing these men as his spokesmen. And the Jews listened to those men, did they? Those 12 men. <clears throat> Verse 14 of Acts 2. The Apostle Peter, with the 11, stood up and began to give answer to that audience that was gathered there from every nation under heaven. Verse 5 says, Every nation under heaven. Devout Jews from every nation under heaven. When they go home, guess what they're going to go home with? The gospel message. And so Peter begins to tell them what all this means. The significance of this day that they're there. Because that was what their question was. They saw the Spirit come down upon these apostles they heard him speak in tongues, didn't teach anybody anything. All it done was praise God in tongues, in languages around the world, all the languages of the world, because that's what a tongue is. It's not angel talk. It's not garbly gook. It is audible, understandable languages. That's very clear in Acts, because these men were amazed. They said, are not these lowly Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue or language wherein we were born? You see, they not only had a national language, but they also had a, a global language called the Koine Greek. Uh, it was established uh, by that young fellow who was Alexander that conqueror? Alexander the Great. Who? Alexander the Great. Yeah. It was established about 280 B.C. as he commissioned, uh, as he conquered the world for that began that was later known as Rome. Uh, he left behind teachers to teach the Koine Greek, common man's Greek, in other words, for a trade language. That's all. So they heard these apostles speak on the day of Pentecost in their own born tongue where they were born. And they said, how, how is this possible? They speak in all the languages of the world. It gives you a list in Acts 2, uh, Acts 1, of the languages they spoke of all the world. This got their attention that these men were, these lowly Galileans as they called them, were under the authority of God and spoke in his behalf. That's what miracles and signs and wonders and tongues were for. They didn't teach anything. They just praised God. And so they cried out, well, we see this and we, we know these men are from God. What does it mean? And so Peter stood up with the eleven and began to teach them. And what did he teach them in Acts 2? Well, he first convicted them of murder of the Son of God. He convinced them that this Son of God was the Savior of the world, and he proved it by Scripture, by Old Testament prophecy. 
the Jews were very familiar with Old Testament prophecy. See, they didn't have the New Testament at this time. All they had was what's called the Septuagint Scriptures, the Old Testament. The prophets, the Law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That was the totality of Genesis through Malachi. That's all they had. And Peter and the apostles proved uh, the lordship of Jesus Christ from prophecy. And the Jews were overwhelmed. They were astounded. And so when Peter finished his sermon, he concluded very simply with this statement. He said, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. In other words, Master and Savior. Verse 37 says, When they heard these words, they were cut to the heart. And they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do to be saved? And Peter said, Oh, just do whatever you want to do. And God will be happy with it. That isn't what he said. He said very firmly, Repent. And be baptized. Some of you. Whoever wants to. He said every one of you. By whose authority? In the name of the, uh, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's by his authority. Why? For the remission of sins he said. You're baptized for the remission of sins. That's what Peter said. And after you're baptized for the remission of sins, then God will send you the Spirit, the, the assurance of the Spirit. Because it said, and you should receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That doesn't mean you're going to receive the, something in you that's going to speak through you. No, you still got to do like Paul told Timothy, or uh, in 2 Timothy 2.15, you got to study to show yourself approved unto God. The word was given that it might build faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Not by hearing uh, some voice within you. And so Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift or the reward from the Holy Spirit. What is the reward that the Spirit promises in the written word? As he is the revealer of God's word. Eternal life. Eternal life. <clears throat> and then Peter didn't stop right there. He said, for this promise. What promise? He just mentioned in verse 38. Uh, the, the, the gift of salvation by repentance and baptism for the remission of sins. And the reception of the Holy Spirit. Which, is the, which the scriptures declare is a seal of a promise that God made to us. It's an earnest, it's a, dow, a dowry, a down payment. We've been purchased, and God has assured us that through the Spirit. But Peter didn't stop there. He said, and this promise, the promise of Acts 2.38, of salvation by baptism, this promise is unto you, you Jews, gathered there that day. And unto your children, 
and unto all that are far off. That reaches you and me, doesn't it? And as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so when God calls men, he calls them to what? Repentance and baptism for the remission of sins. So we're not preaching our doctrine. We're preaching what Peter and the eleven spoke on the day of Pentecost. After being commissioned by the Lord to remain at Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. And so we have a message from God to be baptized for the remission of sins. We're not talking about man's commandment. And we have all these examples of conversion. I can see right now we're not even going to make it into them. <laughs> Paul, you reckon I could have one more week? Three thousand Jews stepped forward and obeyed the gospel and were baptized for the remission of sins in Acts two. The very next day on Solomon's porch, at the preaching of the same gospel, there was five thousand Jews. That's eight thousand, isn't it? In two days. Obeyed the gospel by being baptized for the remission of sins. Well, you got cameras, you can take pictures of this board and take them home and study them yourself. All you got to do is read them. It's very simple to see the examples of conversion to that law immediately after his death, his authoring it, and it begins in Acts 2. In Acts 8, the same picture, the Samaritans were baptized for the mission of sins. In Acts uh, the latter part of chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized for the mission of sins. In Acts 9 and also in Acts 22:16, it declares the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. He was baptized for the mission of sins. Here's other examples. Cornelius and his whole household. Lydia and her household. Every one of them was baptized for the remission of sins. Here's the Philippian jailer, same thing, him and his household were baptized for the remission of sins. There's the Corinthians and the Ephesians baptized for the remission of sins. Now, <clears throat> if I can stay away from the background, that's what takes up my time up here preaching is reminding you of the background that we've already studied. So next week, I'll tie my lips or something so that they'll only speak. We want to look at these acts of conversion. They're very, they're very interesting. Like in the case of Cornelius. God, seeing this man, uh, was searching for the truth, and he said, send down to Joppa and get Peter, who will tell you words whereby you and your house might be saved. Somebody says from the, uh, from the Pentecostal way of thinking, well, why didn't he just tell them to ask for the Spirit? The Spirit would just guide them into the truth. No, no, no. 
it has to be preached. And Peter was an apostle. And God said, you go down and get Peter, and he'll tell you words. When Peter came, he's a little upset because he's not supposed to go into the house of a Gentile. But God has prepared him to go into the Gentile's house with the gospel. And uh, Peter goes in and he asks him through, you can tell through clenched teeth, why would you send for me? I'm a Jew and you're a Gentile. I'm not even supposed to associate with you. Why do you send for me? He said, God told me to send for you. Now it's good that you're here. Now tell us words whereby me and my house might be saved. And if Peter had been a Pentecostal, he'd have said, well, why didn't you just pray for the Spirit? And he'd come down and tell you every stuff. Because God doesn't work that way. God does not work that way. He said, God told me to send for you. And it's good that you've come. Now that you're here, tell us, me and my household, what we, words whereby me and my house can be saved. And Peter preached to him. His message was one of baptism for the remission of sins. They obeyed it. Every one of these, there's nine examples in the book of Acts of groups of people and individuals being saved by baptism based upon their faith in Christ. And their willingness to repent, change their life. Anyway, we'll try one more week to get that message across. And then we'll be finished with what I wanted to present. The authority of Christ and the law of Christ. But that law absolutely includes baptism. You don't come into Christ without being baptized. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. For we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. How do you get into Christ? Baptism. How do you put him on as your covering? Baptism. Pretty clear, isn't it? You don't have to be a rocket scientist. Understand that? Anyway, we'll... Continue next Sunday. Thank you for listening to me. Let's stand now while we sing our closing hymn. <coughs>